Well, there's no doubt that we live in a world where our faith comes under fire. It gets tested to the limit. You know, we turn on the news and uh, we see all these terrible events unfolding around the world. We can find ourselves asking, well, why does God allow this to happen? And then in our own lives, we contend with all sorts. Uh, we contend with the virulent atheism that's prevalent in most Western societies. Uh, many would see our faith as archaic, outmoded, naive, even deluded. If we're open about our faith, then we should be. We could face isolation or rejection, ridicule. Uh, we have to deal with bereavement, with illness, uh, with prayers that uh, often seem to go unanswered, uh, as well as all kinds of personal difficulties. And the question is, how do we maintain our faith against such an onslaught? How do we remain firm in our faith um, despite everything that life is throwing at us. And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this evening. But first, I want to just look at a little bit of the context of uh, the book of Hebrews. So it's a letter uh, by an unknown author to a group of first century Jewish Christians who are facing fierce persecution. Uh, they had uh, been physically and violently assaulted. Uh, they'd been uh, thrown into prison, they'd had their homes broken into, they'd been publicly mocked and ridiculed and humiliated. All because they dared uh, to call themselves Christians. And many were bearing up well, uh, but others were beginning to compromise a bit, and some were on the verge of giving up altogether. It's as if some were saying, do you know what, let's just quietly uh, revert back to our Jewish traditions and leave this Christianity business behind us. It's too difficult. It's too dangerous. If we carry on like this, we're going to get ourselves killed. And in today's passage, we see the author of this letter urging these beleaguered Christians to stay strong uh, by remembering what God has promised and what he's able to do. And I think it would give us what I would call Actions on. So when I was in the Marines, we had actions on almost everything. Mark will understand this. He's a military man. So uh, we had actions on effective enemy fire, actions on disembarking from a helicopter, actions on setting off a trip fair. For every situation, problem or predicament, there were actions on. And I think today's passage gives us actions on faith under fire. And here they are. Here are our actions on faith under fire. We look back, we clear the obstacles, and we move forwards. Look back, clear the obstacles, move forward. So firstly, we look back. The author encourages us to look back uh, across the full sweep of what is often called salvation history. All of God's dealings with humanity and with Israel in particular, starting with Abel, as in Cain and Abel, going all the way through to the reign of King David and beyond. And we're reminded of a great number of characters from the Old Testament who all allowed faith to govern their actions. So we hear about Abel and Enoch, and Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. And you might say, well, so what? What have all those people got to do with me? Well, all those people are part of an overarching story, a grand narrative 
that begins with creation and points forwards to Jesus. In fact, you could summarize the whole of the Old Testament in one word, and that word would be promise. With the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, that whole story makes a lot more sense. But it doesn't stop there. It continues. And those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ become the new Israel, the people of God. So that story is our story. We are the continuation of that story. And what we see is God's purposes being worked out in history. And God continues to work out his purposes in the here and now, today. And the reason that this is faith building is this. Do we really think that this uh, this story, this grand narrative, is going to come to an abrupt and premature end with us, with this generation, this nation, this city, this church, with me as an individual? Is it all just going to fizzle out because God is not working in my life? Of course not. Of course not. The God who's been at work in and through history continues to be at work in and through our lives. He can be relied upon for that. And what's more, the people of the Old Testament, they didn't know what we know. They didn't see what we see. They didn't have Jesus. Verse 39 says, Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. But we have received what was promised. We've seen the blessing of all nations. We've seen the forgiveness of sins, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are possible through Jesus Christ. And actually, I should really say, uh, we've received part of what was promised. Because the most exciting thing of all is that the best is yet to come. We know that God will renew and restore his creation. He'll bring everything back in line with his good, perfect and pleasing will. We don't know when he'll do that, but we know that he will because it's a promise. The other thing that's encouraging about looking back at Israel's history is seeing who God worked through. Because it's quite an impressive list of deeds that we read about in this passage. Verses 33 and 34 say, Through faith they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. So what amazing individuals did God use to do these mighty deeds? Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but it's quite an unimpressive lineup. A man who at times showed appalling judgment. He tried to pass his wife off as his sister on two occasions to avoid getting into trouble with a king who might take a fancy to her. Who was that? Who was that? Anyone? Abraham. Everyone switched on now. <laughs> a murderer with very little self-confidence. Who do you think that might be? You're not allowed to answer. You've heard this. <laughs> Moses. A prostitute. Rahab. A womanizer. I can see we've got some work to do. <laughs> Samson. Easiest one of all. An adulterer and a murderer. King. King David. 
And we could go on, but it would take all night. If God, got, uh, if God can work his purposes in history through such a ragtag uh, assortment of flawed and messed up individuals, do we really believe that he can't work his purposes in and through us? Take heart. Have faith. God is at work in our lives and he will accomplish his purposes through us. But generally speaking, we've got to want him to and we've got to allow him to. And that brings us to our next part, the actions on. So first we look back. The next thing is that we remove obstacles. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Sin is like a weight. So the Olympics have started. Uh, let's say you're sat down, you're about to watch the women's marathon and all the uh, contestants, uh, contestants, not a game show, the competitors, uh, they're lined up, they're ready to go. And you can't help noticing that Laura Waitman has a huge ball and chain attached to her ankle and a massive anvil strapped to her back. Now, of course, you want her to win. She's an Aussie. But you're not going to put any money on it, are you? Not with that ball and chain and that anvil. In fact, it's unlikely that she'll even finish the race. That is a picture of sin. And by sin, we mean anything that we say, think or do that is opposed to God's purposes. Persistent, unrepented sin will weigh us down, hold us back and prevent us from being used in the ways that God wants to use us. As some translations put it, it entangles, it ties us up. Now, don't hear me wrong. We all sin and we will all sin until the day that we're made new in the new creation. Every day we have to turn to God and ask for his forgiveness. We all sin. But persistent sin that we can't or won't turn away from, that is causing us damage day after day after day, that's exhausting. It's faith sapping and it's demoralizing. It puts a block on what God might be trying to do in our lives and it gives the devil a foothold. It makes it easy for the devil to say, Ah, look at all this nonsense. You call yourself a Christian, you go to church, you say your prayers. But look, he's not helping you with that, is he? Is he even there? And before we know it, the voice becomes louder and louder. The doubt sets in, the weakening of our faith, the backsliding. John 8, 36, uh, John 8 verse 36 says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus has set us free. And we need to learn to walk in that freedom. Even so, casting off sin, it can be a slog. It is a slog. It's tough. It's difficult. But it's a battle that we have to fight. The Holy Spirit can and will enable us to lay aside whatever it is, the constant gossiping, the feelings of resentment, the addiction to pornography, the self-pity. The anger, the pride, the selfishness, whatever it is that we're struggling with. But what we absolutely cannot do is sit comfortably with unrepented sin in our lives because it renders us ineffective and it decimates our faith. 
Now, I expect some of you will be thinking, well, hang on a minute, he's just been telling us about all these Old Testament characters who are really flawed and sinful and God worked through them. So why do we have to worry? You know, God will work through us no matter what. But when we look at those characters in the Old Testament, we see that their sin created serious and at times catastrophic and irreparable problems. They didn't reach their full potential. Yes, God used them and God will use us. But the more we're able to cast off sin, the more God will be able to use us and the more effective we'll become. So back to our actions on. We look back. We clear the obstacles. And finally, what's the final one? We move forwards. We're to run with perseverance, the race that is set before us. Or as some translations have it, the race marked out for us. And who has marked out this race? It's Jesus. Jesus has already run this race. He's the only person to ever run it perfectly. But it wasn't easy. The dictionary definition of perseverance is steady persistence in spite of difficulties, obstacles, and discouragement. If it was going to be easy, we wouldn't need perseverance. In 2010, I did uh, the Marathon de Sabla. It's a 250-kilometer run uh, across the Sahara Desert. And before I did this, I did a bit of research, and I went on YouTube and saw some videos, and I saw these exhausted people running, slogging their way through this sand in 45-degree heat. Some of them collapsed, some of them dropped out, all of them seemed to be suffering with massive blisters. So I've got an idea of what it was going to be like. Now, imagine I saw all that and then said to myself, ah, that looks like it might be a nice holiday. I'm in. How ridiculous. So why, as Christians, do we read about Jesus' crucifixion? You know, Jesus who marked this race out for us. And then expect the Christian life to be cosy and comfortable. It just doesn't follow. Martin Luther said, uh, they gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? So how do we keep moving forwards when we're facing difficult circumstances? Well, the answer comes in chapter 12, verse 2. It's by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But we don't just look to the cross and no further. We look beyond the cross to the resurrection. We look to the risen Jesus who sits at the right hand of God to reign in glory for all eternity. And we remind ourselves that that is what we are moving forwards into. 2 Timothy 2 verse 12 says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So by looking back, clearing the obstacles and moving forwards with our eyes fixed on Jesus, we get a 360 degree perspective. We get to see what God has been doing in history all the way up until this point. We get to see how God can powerfully work in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And we get to see where it's all headed. We see the end game. And it's this perspective that gives us the faith to persevere. When Hebrews was written, 
the people of the Old Testament had already run their race. From our vantage point now, those people who wrote the New Testament have run their race, along with countless millions of Christians over the last 2,000 years. Now it's our turn. We're in the race. We are holding the baton. So we're struggling with our faith. Our actions on look back are look back. Clear the obstacles and move forwards. And if we do this, we'll have faith that can move mountains. And we need that kind of faith because we've got work to do. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we live in a world where we can face all kinds of challenges to our faith. But we thank you that we, we have your word, the Bible, and through it we're able to see what you've done in history. That the whole of the Old Testament leads up to Jesus. We're able in our own lives and in the lives of people around us to see uh, that you are powerfully at work in the here and now. And we have your promises of future glory reigning with you for all eternity. And Father, we pray that we can keep this 360 degree perspective. We can recognize that our relationship with you, that your call on our life is more important than anything else. Father, thank you uh, for your for what you uh, are doing and what you will do through us and through this church. In Jesus' name, amen.